Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the last Analyst Inside Cricket for 2019. And I suppose we have to start, Simon, by by looking at England's overall performance in the year after that defeat in Centurion, which isn't a good one in Test match terms. Played 12, won four, lost six, drawn two. So uh, one of their least successful years as a Test match country. No series won in that time as well, and obviously the Ashes relinquished. So a disappointing test year uh, as far as England are concerned. And what it does is it leaves them after the first six months of the Test Match Championship, the ICC Test Match Championship introduced in June, uh, in sixth place. Although, of course, those uh, statistics and those positions are rather swayed by the, the strange points system and the fact that England have played less series than one or two teams. But India reigning supreme on top of the ICC Test Championship at the end of 2019 with three series played, seven test matches won and a grand total of 360 points. England in sixth place with a rather dismal total of 56 points. So overall, uh, it's been a series where I suppose England haven't got worse, but they haven't got better. Well, I wonder, Yoz, if this is the worst England test side for 20 years. You remember when Duncan Fletcher took over in 1999. England had just lost to New Zealand. They were bottom of the pile. I do. And gradually, Duncan Fletcher pulled them up with the help of Nasser Hussain. England got better and better, culminating in that 2005 Ashes Series victory. Since then, they've won Ashes Series at home quite regularly. They've won in India. They have had hiccups where they've they've been thrashed in Australia uh, more than once. But consistently, over the year... They've been really poor and they had that amazing victory at Headingley. Ben Stokes inspired a game really, I mean, normally you would lose, but Stokes had a miracle afternoon and, and 
got England over the line. Really, England should have possibly should have lost that Ashes series. It would have been an even worse year. I know you can talk about ifs and buts. They didn't lose it. But, you know, on the general run of, uh, general run of the game, you'd expect to lose in that situation. Anyway, I just wonder whether this is the worst England side for 20 years or, or near on 20 years as they were rebuilding under Duncan Fletcher. Yeah. Uh, you know, they had, they had a, a few struggles, but they are a real low at the moment and that they are struggling, especially overseas. I, I don't think they're as bad a team, actually, as that 99 team. I, I mean, that, that, that 99 team, uh, there were times in the late 90s where England had four number 11s, if you remember. They had Alan Mullally, Phil Tufnell... Ed Giddings, Devon Malcolm sort of set up or uh, other alternative people in that sort of list. And at least you you look at this England side now, there are four world-class players, uh, obviously Joe Root, Ben Stokes, Jimmy Anderson and and Stuart Broad, although, you know, I guess the, the evidence from the last sort of few months is that certainly Anderson he's maybe just slightly on the decline and and possibly Stuart Broad as well but but Joe Root Ben Stokes pretty much in their prime and they've only got two number 11s uh, at least <laughs> Broad and Anderson whereas uh, that England 99 side had four so I think uh, there isn't it isn't the worst side that England have, have, have had in the last 25-30 years but it's it's really struggling through principally lack of top order runs and I, I, I felt actually that the progress made by Rory Burns this summer is quite encouraging he hasn't obviously supplemented the, the huge amount of runs supplied by Alistair Cook for a decade but he looks as if he has a potential to at least be a, a solid opening batsman who actually has some shots as well that uh, 80 odd he made in the second innings at Centurion was an impressive innings in awkward conditions he got out perhaps playing a, a, an ill-judged shot but his uh, general application and approach in a, in an awkward situation, virtually impossible situation, was really impressive. And actually, Joe Denley has acquitted himself reasonably as well. So, you know, there are one or two signs that that terrible issue at the top of the order is starting to be remedied. Yeah, possibly. Um, uh, the thing is, they should be much better than they are. You look at the the individuals. You mentioned the class players they've got. Absolutely, they have. I totally agree with you. I'm not. I'm not saying this is the worst England side. Please, please don't think I'm saying this is the worst England side for for twenty, twenty five years. I don't think this England side is as bad as the side in 1999. That's when they started to rebuild. What I'm saying is, I think if you look back since then, over the years since then. You know, it, it's got to be on a level with, I think, the, the worst England side. When I talk, and I talk about team as well, the England team. I'm not talking about the individuals. They have got high class players in there. They should be doing much better than they are, but they've still got, they've still got. I think, I think they still got some problems at the top of the order. But they, they, yeah, they are. There are signs they might be uh, solving them. They haven't got a, a class spinner. They've got Stuart Broad and. And James Anderson, who was, you know, clearly, I mean, they've been magnificent bowlers. They've been, you know, the, the two greatest England bowlers of all time, or up there anyway. Um, but but they are sort of moving towards the end of their careers and their effectiveness. They've, they've, I'm sure they've still got something in them. Of course they have, because they're, they're, they're class cricketers. But they're sort of moving towards the end. They haven't got a spinner. Top order, still a problem. And even that middle order, you know, you talk about Johnny Bairstow, Joss Butler, Excellent players, excellent white ball players. You know, they are struggling to come to terms with Test match cricket as well. So the, the England are not quite the sum of their parts as as a team. 
they are underachieving, massively underachieving. So they should be much better, but that, but they're not. I think you could say that that performance at Centurion. It's difficult to say, you know, how much the illness and the and the general lack of preparation undermine them. But you know, they had some really bad moments in the game. Quinton de Kock exploited it in, in the in the first innings. England collapsed in their first innings. Game done. No way were they chasing at 376. I said at the start of England's innings, you know, we were, we were going around sort of asking for percentage chance of England winning. I said 0% chance because I just, I, you cannot, I could not see England getting 376 to win on that pitch. They were done by then, really. They, they, I thought they did battle well, actually, in that second innings. They, they battled really hard and Burns played very well and then, then Sibley for a while and, and also Denley. Um, but I don't know, it's, it's, I think it's hugely frustrating because there is, clearly, there is a lot of talent in that team. Mm. I mean, what, so what's the solution? Uh, that, that's what the, the listeners will be asking. How can we make these players uh, perform better? But I, I'm a big fan of uh, proper preparation. And if you look at the, the evidence over the last four years, England's uh, travels away from home, they've always started badly. Six of the seven test series, they've lost the first test of that series. And in most cases, they've then gone on to lose the series away from home. Uh, why is that? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One is they don't really have the bowling attack or haven't had the bowling attack to necessarily operate in places like either Australia or India. They haven't had the pace in Australia. They haven't had the spin in India to really tax the local batsmen. And the other reason is that, that they don't prepare properly. If you look back to the, the most successful overseas period, 2010 to 2012, when England won the Ashes in Australia and obviously beat India as well. They prepared properly, especially with that Australia series where under Andrew Strauss they had, I think, four practice matches, proper matches, three or four day games against serious opposition and they got some batsmen into form. Even then, they started poorly and at one stage looked as if they might lose the first test in Brisbane but they came back strongly, remember, with that extraordinary stand between Jonathan Trott and uh, Alistair Cook. England were 517 for one at the end of that match and and then obviously uh, went on to win the series. So it, it must be about preparation because these players, as you say, they're good players. People like Johnny Bairstow, Josh Butler, hugely talented, but they're not producing at test level because they're, firstly, their skills are slightly compromised by the amount of white ball cricket they play, and secondly, because they don't play enough red ball cricket to prepare for a, a serious sort of test inquiry of their technique. Yeah, I mean, I wonder whether they were able to do that. The, sh- the schedule makes it so difficult it for them. It's, it's almost impossible. I mean, they, they went to New Zealand. I mean, in a sense, you could say, well, they, they have prepared for South Africa in a way because they have been playing lots of cricket. They played uh, two test matches in New Zealand. They played some, you know, a couple of warm-up games there. They came home for a, you know, a week or so and then back on the treadmill. I, mean, I just wonder still whether there's a, a hangover from the summer as well, that the in- incredibly intense summer that, you know, and, the, and the highs of the summer as well. Sometimes it's hard to just... Get yourself up again. Yeah, yeah, get yourself up again for you know, another tour and then another tour. And you know, and when you when you've mm. had that high, um, I, I just wonder whether that's an element to it as well. I, and I heard Ashley Giles talk about that as well. You know, he says, I, you know, I wonder whether we have recovered uh, from the summer. And that was before the the Cape the uh, Centurion Test match. I, I, the sickness in the camp must have had an, a, an impact. It, it, it must be a factor. It, it cannot be a great way of preparing for a, a Test series and a Test match to have so many players who you know who have been sick, who, who you know who weren't able to prepare 
properly for the game. And, and Dominic Sibley is, is the latest to succumb to the, the bug. It, 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 you know, it is a debilitating thing. You know, if you ever had that sort of type of sickness, it does, it does knock you out for a, for a while and, until you get better. And, and then that takes a bit of time as well to get, to get your body right. And, you know, these are, these are top class athletes. You know, they, we're not talking about, you know, just going out and, you know, hitting a few balls. This is, you know, this is serious, hard international sport. So, you know, if you have that sort of preparation, n- not easy. I'm not making excuses. Joe Root did make excuses as well. I mean, he said, no, we're not going to put it down to that. Uh, but, uh, what, what about the toss, uh, Yoz? What, what do you think about the toss, P- putting yeah. uh, South Africa into bat on a pitch that, I mean, notoriously uh, Centurion, it, you know, goes up and down t- towards the end of the game. So... I mean, I know England didn't have a spinner, and they had that, that five-pronged pace attack in theory, and they wanted to get at South Africa on that first day, roll them over, and then take control of the Test match. Because it didn't quite happen, thanks to Quinton de Kock. It's easy in hindsight. What, what did you feel at the time? I thought at the time England should have batted. I thought it was a day for batting, and I think sometimes you just have to look at your look at the overhead conditions, which were beautiful. Look at the pitch, which uh, it was a bit patchy, but it looked as if the sort of pitch that was only going to get worse. And I know that they, they looked at the stats and it all said that the best day to bat was the second day. But I think you have to kind of also look at the, the, the practicalities and a bit, a bit of illness in the camp. The South Africans in chaos generally before the series began. To me, you want to get in, use the pitch when it's at its best, make as many runs as possible, and, and then exploit the uneven bounce later in the game. The, the, you know, the telling fact about Centurion is that the highest score to win a game batting last was 250, which you alertly pointed out was a, was a fixed game anyway, the, the Hansi Cronje game of <laughs> 2000. So uh, it, it's that evidence suggests it's not a pitch that's getting better, it's a pitch that's getting worse. So with the bowling attack England had... I think that they, 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 it was fairly obvious they should have batted first, but they still got themselves into a good position to potentially win the game and squandered it by allowing Quinton de Kock in the first innings to, to play much too freely, not just adhering to the basics, which usually an England attack are fairly famous for, and particularly in the second innings as well, just letting South Africa completely off the hook. Some poor bowling. They were 78 for four overnight with a night watchman in, and that pair, night watchman of Nokia and Van der Dusen, batted on the whole of the the first hour and made 60-odd runs. They got 120 for three in the session as the bowling got shorter and shorter and wilder and wilder. And I wrote somewhere that that England's bowling pitch map looked like a, a drunken paintball outing you know they just sprayed the ball everywhere and there was just no discipline the thing is sometimes as a bowler when you get into these overseas conditions having been used to bowling with a Dukes Mm -hmm. ball in English conditions for so long and you're seeing almost every ball in English conditions with a Dukes ball sort of zipping around and swinging a little bit even if it swings past the bat you can see the, the, the potential for wickets all the time. Suddenly when you come, come out to South Africa or Australia and the ball's flying straight, doesn't seem to be doing much, the kookaburra feels soft in your hand, the seam is low, you start getting disheartened, you, you start losing focus and almost perhaps doubting yourself and thinking, well, i better try something else here to keep the captain happy or enthusiastic or whatever. And you, so you try things and that's where the game just slightly wriggles out of your grasp. Look at the way the South Africans bowled on that line. Last day, 
there was hardly a bouncer bowled, except the one that got Rory Burns out. And Philander started with four maidens, just knocking away on a line and length to the left-hander. No runs allowed. Very slow scoring rate that first hour. It forced the, the batsmen to, to look for runs where perhaps they weren't, and gradually they got out. Yeah, one aspect of that, I, I would thought, as you, if you look at that pitch, though, there was enough in that pitch to encourage every bowler that bowled, even the spinner towards the end, Maharaj, uh, was finding some help there and picked up two crucial wickets. So as a bowler, I wouldn't have thought you would have get, get discouraged in those conditions. It's a lovely place to, to bowl, Centurion. I mean, once you bowled at the, when you bowled at the Bay Oval and Seddon Park for, for <laughs> yeah. 10 days, then you, you look at Centurion, you think, you know, that, that's Christmas, uh, your birthday, <laughs> your wedding anniversary, Easter, all rolled into one, I would have thought. It's just, uh, I think sometimes you, you, get, you get thrown off by night watchman staying in actually particularly it's an odd thing but uh, someone who doesn't look very good who you think well you know we'll knock him over easily and then suddenly he doesn't get out and he has a slightly uncoordinated odd odd technique sort of plays on leg stump and uh, fends off the bouncer without looking at it and you sort of think well a couple more bounces and we're going to get him out and suddenly he starts getting a bit of confidence and seeing the ball a bit better and you're bowling those short balls and they're getting sliced to strange places and then you've sort of lost that control and then, you know, trying to rest it back is quite hard. Mm. So what about the rest of the series then? I mean, I said, you know, our preview podcast, I thought England, a lot of people thought England would go there and win and they might still do that, actually, because I think this South African side isn't a great side. There are cracks there and England, England was, they were sort of hinting at exploiting them, that, that batting line. And perhaps that's why they did put them in, actually, because they felt they could really get into their batting early in the series and roll them over. But South Africa, thanks to the cock, who is a good player, actually, he's a very handy player to come in in that situation and counter-attack. You know, they, they couldn't uh, exploit that, those cracks tracks in, in South Africa's batting. So what about the rest of the series? Um, England need to sort of, you know, they need to sort of look at themselves in the mirror, that old cliche, isn't it? And, and you know, accept their shortcomings and, and I don't know, try to, try to produce a performance that is worthy of the players they have in that squad. Otherwise, you know, this another series will, will slip by away from home. England have been really poor away from home of late. Uh, they've lost in the West Indies, they lost in New Zealand, and they're, they're one down here. I think they, I think they can come back. I, I, you know, I, I thought England would not find it that easy in this series, but I still, I still think actually, you know, it, it, it you know, it could be a drawn series, two-two, something like that. I, I definitely think that they can get into South Africa here, but it's their own vulnerabilities. They need to, they need to sort of shore up those those cracks really, uh, find a way of getting decent runs and. Uh, the bowlers bowling with a bit more discipline, a bit more purpose, and it will depend on the pitch at Cape Town. Last time it was incredibly flat, and both teams made 600. Even then, England made 600, and then were not that far away from losing the game or being in a losing position. It rained on the final day at Cape Town, so yeah, it, it might be back to you know tough bowling conditions in the next Test match. But uh, I mean, do you think they can get back in the series, or do you, do you think this actually now South Africa got ahead? Uh, they'll be able to put England under even more pressure? Well, it's always tough, isn't it, losing the first test of a series away from home to come back. I do think England can come back. Uh, I, I think they must focus on one main thing, and that is that the South African top order isn't great. Dean Elgar is a very courageous, you know, tough 
left-handed batsman, but they're going to have to replace Markram with a new player because uh, he's broken his finger. So there's a there's mm. definitely a, an opening there. And, you know, three and four, I, I'm not actually conv- particularly convinced by Faf du Plessis, actually, as, as a batsman. He's, he's a tough mm. nut, obviously, but he's not world-class mm. at all. So, really, I mean, the, the South African batting, until you get down to, to Quinton de Kock, isn't replete with, with amazing class. I actually like... Van den Dusen, funnily enough, I think he's got something, and he's mm. he, you know, he's thirty years old. He's got a great first class record. He looks as if he has the temperament for Test cricket. We've seen it a little bit in one day cricket, but he certainly acquitted himself very well in that first Test. I think he's got the potential to be a really class player. But the rest, until you get down to De Kock, who's obviously dangerous and and very naturally talented stroke player, th- th- there isn't that much there. So if England can find that extra bit mm. of discipline. Maybe they have to rotate Broad and Anderson. Uh, I, I think Anderson is always one of those bowlers who, and I remember this from the last series in, in South Africa, actually, he didn't bowl that well in the first test in Durban, and then he came to Cape Town and bowled much better and didn't get a huge amount of reward, actually, for, for the skill he exhibited. But he nearly always needs one test match just to get get his rhythm going, or well, one first-class, proper first-class match to get his rhythm going at that, that level. And maybe that he got some rustiness out of his system, having not really bowled much for six months in a, in a proper kind of competitive environment. So I, I hope that he can find a, a better rhythm in, in, the, in the second test. Archer needs to improve. He needs to improve just in his mindset more than anything. He's got all the skills... He just needs to approach bowling in a test match. It's not going to always come easily. I know he had a hard grind in, in New Zealand. These pitches in, New, in South Africa will give him a little bit more. Uh, and he's got to focus. He's got to think of Pat Cummins has to be, or even Kagiso Rabada has to be his role model. Someone who comes charging in ball after ball, doesn't lose heart, which I think Archer does quite quickly when things aren't going his way, uh, and keeps on that relentless pursuit of top of off stump with the occasional bouncer and just doesn't lose his way in that sense. So, you know, if those two, Sam Curran, bowled pretty well, keeps... Now, you talk about players being, being more than the sum of their parts. I think Curran is a good example of that. Maybe his batting at times looks a little bit loose, but, but his bowling, actually, he, he gets more wickets than you think... Uh, maybe he should. And look at the the number three bowler in the ICC test rankings at the moment, Neil Wagner. Wow. You know, Mm. there there is a a case of someone who's made absolutely the most of his ability with just utter determination and bloody-mindedness. He seems to have the wood over Steve Smith at the moment. So... You know, there's definitely ways that England can, can compete in this series, but they just need to be a bit more focused. Yeah, Wagner, excellent. I mean, he, he was fantastic in that series that England played uh, against New Zealand. He actually won the, the Test match on the final days. You know, somehow burgling a Pfeiffer, you know, remarkable uh, bowling, really. One thing about Archer, I would say, he was actually England's leading wicket-taker in the Centurion Test match. I think the, the problem is he conceded, what, was 170 runs, and he went at six and over in the second inning. So England, it didn't feel as if England had any control. They, they've got some decisions to make, haven't they, about this, the makeup of their side? How do they fit a spinner in? Do they want a spinner 
you know, if, if they find a test match where they need one, what are they going to do? Is Ben Stokes going to be able to bowl as much as England would like, you know, to really be that uh, fourth seamer? He, he came on the second innings, picked up a, a couple of wickets after, you know, being absent from the attack in the, the first innings of the Centurion test match. It's that balance of the side. And then, of course, you've got this really bizarre situation, England playing no spinners in South Africa. And then in... You know, a month or two's time to go to Sri Lanka, where last time they played three, and they might well need at least two uh, this time in, in those hot conditions. Uh, j- just on that, actually, uh, I was with um, Paul Farbracy, former England assistant coach, on Saturday working at, at the BBC on the, on the Cricket Social uh, programme, and P- Paul Farbrace was saying that Sri Lanka will learn from last time. Last time they made raging turners, which played into England's hands because it brought England's spinners really into the game because it was a sort of, you know, it was a sort of spinning top shootout. Next time they'll make decent pitches and take the game deep. You know, long test matches uh, suck the energy out of the opposition over five days, which is you know an interesting observation actually about how Sri Lanka will play it next time. So you know the pitches are going to be better and they, they won't spin as much. Um, anyway, that's just a, a footnote for the future, which actually suggests they're going to find it tough out there as well. It'd be a very different series to the one they played last time. Of course, last winter when they won uh, 3-0, when everything seemed so rosy, you know, England winning away from home as they as they are finding it really difficult uh, to do at the moment. So they, they got lots of they got lots of issues to try to sort of get that to get the framework of their their team right. There's some talk that Don Best might play. Jack Leach still struggling. You know, he's coming back from, from illness now, Jack Leach. And they might play Don Best instead because Leach might, you know, might not be match fit. But, they, you know, they, do, how do they fit them all in? That, that's the problem they've got. I do worry if Don Best, uh, an enthusiastic cricketer though he is, is England's front-line spinner for a mm. test match. I mean, he, mm. he's actually... He he played perkily in, in a couple of test matches a couple of years ago, but his bowling wasn't great, and he didn't even get called up much by Somerset and ended up on loan. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's, that slightly says something about England's spin reserves, which is pretty worrying. Uh, by the way, you, you mentioned Sri Lanka. They're in fourth spot in the ICC <laughs> Test Championship at the moment. They've only played two series, and they've only won one test match, actually, and drawn one as well. So they're on 80 points as opposed to England's 56. It has a very strange look at the moment, that World Test Championship. India on top, Australia second place. Those two absolutely far and away the two best teams. India 360 points, Australia 256. Then a a massive drop to Pakistan in third place on 80 and Sri Lanka on 80 and then New Zealand on 60 and England on 56. South Mm. Africa only 30 points having played four tests and only won one and lost three. But uh, they'll now, uh, if they beat England again, they'll overtake England. England uh, could slide down that table. Well, let, yeah. let's, let's hope they don't. Just on the Test Championship, it has been criticised, you know, the point system and the fact that, you know, some series are five Test matches and some series are, are two Test matches. What I would say is that the two best teams at the moment, uh, India and Australia, are at the top, way ahead. 
and they deserve to be because they are winning test matches as well. And the other point as well is that everyone would get to play six test series, three home, three away. So, okay, although the point system is bizarre and they might need to look at that, you know, there will be chances for teams to catch up. For example, if England were to go to Sri Lanka and win the series 2-0, suddenly they would get 120 points for that. So, that, you know, there is a way of moving up quickly once you start winning test matches, especially if you win test matches in, in two-match series. So that's that's the challenge. I mean, England are, are languishing down in sixth. As you say, if they lose to South Africa, they could be down to seventh. And that's what I, my point goes back to the, at the start of the podcast. You know, that when England were right at the bottom of the pile uh, all those years ago, 20 years ago, when they were sort of officially ranked the, the, the worst team in the world for a short space of time. You know, they are right down in the uh, Test Championship rankings at the moment. Uh, they're a bit higher, actually, in the ICC rankings, which is some, something uh, different. Um but, you know, that's the challenge, them, win some test matches. Uh, it's all very well saying uh, India and Australia are, are well clear and it all seems unfair. Well, you know, no one's saying that about Liverpool at the top of the Premier League ta- table. They're, you know, they're, they're streaking away with it and everyone's praising them for being you know, right up there. I know it's a sort of slightly different contest and everyone plays everyone. But India and Australia are winning. They deserve to be in the, in the top two. By the way, I should just say that the scoring system in this World Test Championship, for people who don't understand it, it is a bit strange. But basically, you get 120 points available per series, which are divided up according to the number of games in that series. So if it's a three-test series, you get 40 points per test match. If it's a two-test series, there's 60 points for the winning team. For, for a test match and obviously for a five test series it's only 24 points per test match so that's why England having won two tests in the ashes have a, a, a low score and uh, it, it does sort of rather give advantage to teams that schedule three test series uh, because you can you can schedule two three test series in the space of one five test series with a lot more points available. I think over time it will hopefully even out because the same number of series are counted mm. per team in the the championship, which is why the New Zealand England series wasn't counted. It just adds to the general confusion. Hopefully, it will finish up reasonably fair in the end. Yeah, and the the point is, of course, is that England and Australia still want to play their five match series because it it means so much to them. It's it's historical. There's a financial aspect to it as well, and everyone wants to see it as well. People want that five test series. You know, people are flocking to see the Ashes in the summer, so you don't want to get rid of that. Um, but in other parts of the world, it's seen that two test series, three test series work perfectly well so you've got that anomaly and basically it's the ICC who are not actually a governing body as such they're not an organization which uh, dictates to to all the test playing nations that this is how it should be it's just made up of the sum of its parts the ICC and there's so many there's so many um, political aspects to it and that you know there were power bases within the ICC as well certain countries are, are stronger than others and want their way and that and so it, you know, it is a you know it's it's a it's a bit like sort of 10 people rowing in a room and you know the strongest and the biggest voices and the most powerful get get their say so it's it's not it's not someone at the top saying this is the fairest way to do it, it, it there are so many trade-offs going on here and that's why it's not a perfect system at the moment I'm hoping that as time goes on, because I think the Test Championship is a good thing, I'm hoping as time goes on that it will improve and, that, and there will be a better point system, a better structure, it, but it, it, it will take time to work itself out. Now, there is a story, isn't there, doing the rounds at the moment, that four-day tests 
are going to be something the ICC want to really push uh, for the for the future of this tournament. From 2023 onwards, they're talking about all the test matches in the test championship being four-day test matches. I quite like that idea, actually. I, I mean, I know that I get shot down every time I say this on uh, on social media, mentioning four-day tests, and the, therefore you lose the, the magic of, of a few fifth-day climaxes. But I just think overall it makes a lot of sense. I think the practicality of four-day tests, starting on a Thursday and finishing on a Sunday... In an English sense, that's two days for corporates and two days for the public, which is always good. The Monday test matches become a bit of a lottery. You don't know whether it's going to happen or not. You have to, a lot of grounds have to get stewards ready to come and, and, and work and all the other people that work at a ground. And, you know, they have to sort of pay them for five days, even though they often don't work for more than three or four days. A lot of test matches, the majority of test matches ending in, in four days. I mean, in the summer, in the ashes, two out of the five ended in four days, and Lord's Test match might have ended in four days, but for the the heavy rain that washed out one whole day's play. So I I think generally the players would prefer it, and I think it brings a better symmetry to uh, the sort of organisation of a Test series with a Thursday-Sunday span, and then three days off to travel and prepare, and then Thursday to Sunday again. I think it's it's an easier sort of system to follow that. Obviously, the detractors will say, well, you know, a test match should be five days, and think of all the great finishes uh, that we've seen in five days. Who's to say that with 98 overs in a day and stricter penalties if you don't bowl those overs, and I mean really strict penalties, that actually means only about 60 overs less in a match if all the overs are bowled compared to a five-day test match of 90 overs a day. And actually, if it just sort of speeds up the game a tiny bit, you are still going to get those great climaxes, but they'll be on the fourth day rather than the fifth. Yeah, it's possible. That's absolutely possible. The players, you know, just over time will adjust. People will say, well, what happens if it rains and a day's play is knocked out? And I, and I agree that you know, that is potentially a problem in England, not just solely in England, other, other places it rains as well uh, during test matches. The subcontinent, the games tend to go a bit slower, a bit less in the pitch and they're really slow builds. And what you tend to find is it's slow, slow, slow for three days, three and a half days, then bang, 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 wickets start to fall, then you get a finish on the, the fifth day, say, in India. Uh, you know, that's something to look at. Do we want four-day Ashes test matches, or will there be special dispensation for that, as there is in you know, the fact that we have five test match series, and, and that's part of the test championship, whereas a lot of series are, are two- and, and, and three-match uh, series. That, that's possible, because people might say we want five days in an Ashes test match. Um, one of the things I feel about it, I, 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 I'm starting to feel even though I'm, I sort of feel as though I'm against it, but I, I tend to feel it's inevitable. I feel, it, I feel it's going to happen, and that, that's the way the game is moving. And I actually think what will happen is the players will adjust. They'll adjust to four-day cricket with 98 overs in the day, and the game will be played in a slightly different way. Here's an example. The last test match between Australia and New Zealand, OK, that did finish in four days, but Australia could have pushed the issue much, uh, much more firmly. They, they batted quite slowly in their second innings, but they didn't enforce the follow-on for a start. Uh, they could have done that. Um, 
even though they didn't, they didn't bat very quickly. They could have get they could have got New Zealand in much quicker, and actually they you know not set them as many to to win in the in the fourth innings. They could have pulled out you know okay chase four hundred, which they wouldn't have been able to do. So you know the, I, I think what will happen is that that if it does come in four day cricket, then the captains will adjust to it, and it it might not necessarily be to the mm. detriment of the game that you know in the way that everyone's thinking. Oh, you know, it's got to be five days. It's got to be five days. It's always been five days. Well, of course, it hasn't always been five days because in the past the games were much shorter than five days. Well, listen, one of the greatest Ashes Test matches was well, in fact, the first one, uh, the first one where the Ashes was mentioned, eighteen eighty two at the Oval, the famous Test in which England needed eighty five to win in. The the last innings and were bowled out for 77 by Frederick the Demon Spotheth and that's when the whole idea of the Ashes was created and that was a three-day test. Uh, obviously times have changed since 1882 but nothing to say that captains couldn't be a little bit more ingenious and with the urgency that 98 overs in a day requires that the whole game just could speed up a bit. I feel that in a lot of those test matches that there is a lot of time wasted. I mean, the art of batting is to score runs, not to stay in. And while I'm not trying to condone the idea of just, you know, slap, bang, wallop and playing it in a T20 style, I feel that just getting... a little bit more initiative into the game generally is a good thing. And people will say, well, what about a fifth-day pitch? You're not going to get a fifth-day pitch anymore. Uh, You will, in a way, because the amount of cricket played will almost equate to five days. Uh, So by the end of the fourth day, with 98 overs bowled in a day, that wear and tear should be similar to the middle of a fifth day. Yeah. Also, as well, the, the, the aspect of oh, a spinner bowling on the fifth day. Well, I think you 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 want you'll want spinners to to be in your side. It won't it won't knock spinners out because well, a you'll play you know a lot of the matches you play in the subcontinent, which are quite sprint friendly anyway. But also, if you've got ninety eight overs in a day, you can't just bang away with four pace bowlers. You'll you'll need that fifth bowl. You'll need that spinner to hold an end, say, on the first day. Anyway, they'll they'll need to bowl their share of the over. So it won't necessarily uh, knock the spinner out of the game. Uh, You know, there are lots of spinners in in four-day cricket around the world, in four-day first-class cricket, although there could be a few more in in England. But then, you know, that's another discussion completely different discussion about pitches and when the the matches are being played so there's a there's that aspect to it the thing about five-day cricket is that it it sort of doesn't give a team that's losing any place to hide so the fact that fifth day is there means it's 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 much harder for them to 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 work their way through to a draw so you you might find to start with there are a few more draws and teams can see the light at the end of the tunnel and, and hold on and play cautiously if you're under pressure in a test match, that, that might happen. But the other thing as well, Yoz, is that batsmen these days, they, they, they are more attacking naturally. It's the way the game's gone. Scoring rates generally are, are higher. And I, I wonder whether you know, we are now in the era where f- four-day test match cricket makes sense because the way the, the game is played, it, it might be worth having a look at. It might be worth experimenting with it to see, you know, play a few more t- test matches over four days to see... Uh, whether it works or not, uh, there'll be traditionalists who are totally against it, and I can see their argument as well. I mean, I think you know, my instinct is for f- to stay with five days, but I can absolutely see the logic of of, of four day test matches played over ninety eight overs as long as they get the overs in. Well, well I'd be interested to know what uh, what you, the listeners, think actually. So, will you uh, send in your thoughts about? 
the prospect of four-day test matches in the future. We've done this discussion before, but I mean, it's it now feels more of an active potential to, to happen. So, give us your short views about the idea of four-day test matches in the future. Send them to the email address, which is the analyst podcast at gmail.com the analyst podcast at gmail.com and the three best answers we'll read out of course but also i'll send them all a copy of alistair cook's autographed autobiography as well so there's an incentive for you there to tell, to tell us what you think and also yours you uh, also don't don't just say oh i you know we're tearing down civilization uh, it's a disgraceful idea give us your really you know a constructive reason why you think it's a bad idea don't just say i hate it really tell us why with uh, with some rigor as well and uh, one other thing you could do if you're writing in is give us your moment of the summer. And I don't necessarily mean Ben Stokes hitting the winning runs at Headingley or that incredible final moment at uh, the World Cup final. But I'm thinking, for instance, um, the number of times that Jack Leach cleaned his glasses in that amazing last wicket stand at Headingley, which in the end got Jack Leach's glasses cloth its own Twitter handle. And I'm thinking uh, when Gloucestershire knocked off the winning runs against Worcestershire at Worcester to just about uh, confirm their promotion to the First Division. You can uh, go and watch First Division cricket next year. Absolutely. That's rather exciting, your local... It is very exciting. That is really exciting. W.G. Grace would be happy with that. (laughs) You know, in a way, the performance of the summer has to be Darren Stevens, who's become the second oldest player to score a double hundred and take five wickets in the same match and and the oldest of course was wg grace so that's a a, a tremendous one life begins at 40 fantastic darren stevens absolutely incredible got him a a new contract didn't it as well at at kent they weren't going to renew his contract it didn't seem and they produced those amazing uh, that amazing performance in that match in september and he, he got himself another year Okay, well, it's been an intriguing year. Fantastic, obviously, for White Ball. Not so good for Red Ball if you're an England fan, but I hope you've enjoyed it. And we'd just like to both say thanks very much for all your support and for listening to this podcast. Of course, we'll be carrying on in 2020. And in the meantime, have a great new year. Send us your emails. Happy New Year. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.